Welcome to the Hydric and Struggles Leadership Podcast, the premier provider of leadership consulting, culture shaping, and senior level executive search services. Every day, we're privileged to talk with fascinating people who are shaping the future through their leadership and vision. Each episode, you'll hear a different perspective from thought leaders and innovators. Thanks for listening to the Hydric and Struggles Leadership Podcast. Hello, I'm Alan Shardlow partner in charge of the Johannesburg office of Hydric and Struggles and a member of the Global Consumer Practice. In today's podcast, I'm speaking to Doug Jackson, the outgoing Chief Executive Officer of Coca-Cola Beverages Africa, the eighth largest Coke bottler in the world. Doug is a veteran of more than 35 years in the Coca-Cola system. Doug, welcome and thank you for taking the time to speak with us today. Thank you, Alan. It's a great pleasure to be here with your uh, podcast audience. Thank you. Doug, I've uh, had the privilege of knowing you for several years, but you've had over 35 years in the Coca-Cola system, and you've worked in the UK, in other European markets, the Middle East, Africa, Asia, Australia, and the USA. And as you transition to the next phase of your career, can you perhaps share a favorite story or two of your time in the Coke business? That's difficult, Alan. There's been uh, over 35 years, obviously, there's been many wonderful moments, many magic moments, but... uh, I'll recall one that I that I have fond recollection of, which was meeting our great president Nelson Mandela, or Madiba, as South Africans will will know him. Uh, it took place in 2000. We had a private lunch. It was just the three of us: myself, uh, Madiba, and my wife Colleen. Three of us having a private lunch. I had done uh, some work raising money for him from a few other companies. And he asked me at the lunch, he said, please, what can I do for you? I mean, imagine being asked Mm. by Mr. Mandela, you know, what can I do for you? And I said, no, you don't have to do anything. And he pushed me, he asked again. So when he asked the second time, I said, look, I'm having a big bottler conference, a big Coca-Cola bottler conference. We're going to go away next year and be on a big boat, a wonderful boat on the Mediterranean. And could you give me just a day of your life? Um, even three or four days of your life would be wonderful. And right then he called, uh, he called in Zelda, his assistant, and he booked it, and it was done. And uh, the great story was that we smuggled him onto the boat. I never let anybody know other than our security folk. No one else knew. And the morning of the conference that had started, um, I just saw this audience in the amphitheater, and as I got up on stage, a voiceover came, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Mr. Nelson Mandela, not Doug Jackson. And out of the side door, he came and I, I went down, he held, he kind of rested on my shoulder and we turned and I saw this audience, not a dry eye in there's about 150 people and partners, it's about 300 folks from bottlers all over Africa and there wasn't a dry eye in the house. It was, it was just phenomenal. It was a great memory. He was with us those few days. Uh, we never looked back. Sales, it was almost a divine intervention. Sales started to boom, and we had the greatest five years that, uh, that I'd, I'd had in the business uh, since then. It was just phenomenal. Uh, and he was inspirational. He inspired our entire trip, and it was just, uh, you know, his presence was just great. So it was one of the stories that I had from those, those 35 years. He's certainly a remarkable man, and he's touched many people's lives. But Doug, you're also known to be really, really passionate and uh, and uh, very passionate about promoting and developing talent. With your vast experience across all of these different uh, uh, markets that you've worked in, 
Um, what's been your strategy in retaining, attracting, and developing that talent? Yeah, there's there's a few common threads. You know, whether you're working in China with with folks there, or folks in the Middle East, or here in in South Africa, um, people, in my view, people leave managers. They leave leaders, not companies. Um, or sorry, no, they leave uh, companies, not managers. Um, and um, you know, I felt that if I could establish a personal relationship with key, key people in my team, they would never leave. And to be very frank, in 35 years, no one's, no one's left me. And that's consistent um, across different cultures, yep, different markets? Across all of that. But making, taking the time, Alan, to, for example, in the Middle East, mm. over Ramadan, I went out every night to one of my people who would invite me into their homes. I could find out about their, their personal lives, their children, their, their partners, you know, what makes them really tick? And you've got to be able to do that. In China, it was the same. Over Chinese New Year, I would go out, I would engage in their personal lives. Now, when someone comes around to leaving, they ain't going to leave you if you've got a personal bond with them. They might leave a company, but they struggle to leave a manager. So I felt, firstly, I had to exhibit lead a certain leadership style. Uh, one of those was to be over the trench first. I was going to take the first bullet. If we succeed, then it's all of you guys that have done all the work. If we fail, it's me. Um, and that's that kind of mantra of leadership, bold leadership, good, you know, quick decisions, being able to take risks and move ahead was what people looked up to. And they, they tend to follow you, stay with you always and never leave you. And uh, that that's key, I think, to to what I experienced. So great leadership style, good leadership style. And then having something personal, um, a personal bond with each of those people. Uh, turning to the, to the business of Coca-Cola, it's been the leading brand for many, many years in a row. But it's come under some, um, some uh, threat in recent times. There's been a lot of health consumer activism um, and sugar taxes have been, in, have been introduced in several countries. What's your view on the future of the sugary drinks business? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question, Alan. And um, obviously, I think that companies like Coke have been around more than 130 years, have been able to adapt and adjust over the years. And I think they'll do the same in the future. One of the big moves that people will see in the Coca-Cola system is a move to a total beverage company. What does that mean, Doug? It means being able to provide, for example, our great water brands. We've got whether in the U.S. you would have a brand called Dasani. In South Africa, you would have a brand called Bon Aqua. Um, in other parts of the world, other brands of the company. Coffee, for example, we've just made a $5 billion acquisition of the Costa brand. So instead of we were exclusively 30 years ago a soda brand, and you'd be vulnerable right there now, you've got teas, coffees, waters, juices, number of other brands. And you want to provide for consumers choice. That's the key word. And you've got to be able to give consumers everything from full sugar to zero sugar options. Now, you know, some people will say to me, but but full sugar, who's going to drink a full sugar? Well, you've got no idea. If you've been to one of our mines in South Africa and you've seen mine workers come up top after an eight-hour shift in huge searing heat and burning 10,000 calories, I promise you not one ever asked me for a water or for a diet soda they want the full sugar, 
variety of the best brand on earth, the Coca-Cola brand. So you've just got to provide choice for everyone. And as long as there's more and more choice, I think that's how you'll survive. I think that's how companies like Coke and like Pepsi and others will will all survive this sugar, um, this this kind of sugar attack that that that's globally uh, in in mind at the moment. You talk about Coca-Cola transitioning to become a full beverage company. Does that include alcohol ultimately? Do you think? You know, I think it could be on the uh, absolutely. I think um, deliberately they uh, they've put out a statement of being a total beverage company. They never said total non-alcoholic beverage company. So I think, yes, you've got to include everything. And as some folks would have picked up, there was a recent launch of a brand in Japan, a company brand with alcohol in it in Japan, which tests the waters. And if successful, could be rolled out, could be rolled out globally. So the answer, I think, is yes. Anything is possible and everything is open. Switching back to your career in uh, Coca-Cola, Doug, you've won the Woodruff Cup three times in your career. I understand this is uh, not something that has happened to one or more people than that. Could you tell our listeners what this is and what it entails? Well, Alan, thanks. You need a little bit of luck and you need a great team around you to win win this award, like any awards. Um, But essentially, Robert Woodruff was one of the early doyens of the company. Um, took it globally, was one of the people responsible for taking Coke to the 204 countries that we currently do business in through the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, and 70s. He was, you know, chief emeritus, chairman emeritus uh, at the end of the day. And there was an award named after him where the 20-odd business units in the world would compete on certain criteria, your sales growth, your market share, to be, being able to take market share, quality of products, a whole bunch of criteria. Everyone competes, and then one is selected as as the winner. So, you know, I had this wonderful time in South Africa. I alluded to it earlier with Mr. Mandela, um, where from the minute we had him inspire our, our system, we never looked back. We grew very well. Uh, we won two Woodruff Cups during that time. And then there was another one in China where the Chinese economy was growing at at double digits, 10%, and we, we won another one there. But I think you've got to have a wonderful team with you, and you've got to need a little bit of luck, and then you can win the awards. I know you're a very keen golfer, uh, Doug, and what did Gary Player say about luck again? Ah, you're right. He said, uh, the harder I practice, the luckier I get. There you go. There you <laughs> so go. you've got to work at it. Yeah. <laughs> um, Agility is is a key aspect uh, in every leader's strategy in this uh, volatile and uncertain, chaotic and amb- ambiguous world that we live in. How have you used agility um, as a leadership trait across the continents that you've led teams in? Yeah, it's a great question, Alan. If you're not agile today, uh, the competitors in our business will just eat you up for, for breakfast. You know, So a couple of things I've tried to do. Uh, One is not to think too much. You know, you can research things to death in big companies. The the folks like to try and continue the research to be 100% certain you can't be. Um, Get sort of 60, 70, 80% comfortable and then pull the trigger and try something. And I'll give you a good example. Um, In the early days, in 2000 in South Africa, we launched an energy drink. Unheard of before. Red Bull was sort of the only game in town. Um, and we launched a brand called Play Energy Drink in South Africa. When we asked Coke in Atlanta to, to get into this energy category, they were like, why do you want to do that? But we wanted to be agile. Our bottlers had come to me in those days and said, we've got this Red Bull. We need something to counter them in the, in the shippings and the taverns and, and, and a number of our, our customers. 
please give us something. And we moved at speed. I, I came back after that day's trade visit. And the best ideas and the most agile you can be is because you're in the marketplace with customers. And I, I gave our marketing department 100 days to give me a brand in the marketplace. Uh, usually it would take six to nine months um, as a minimum, maybe a year to get a new brand in, in, in a big company like Coke. But 100 days later, 99 days later, or the marketing guy was going to be fired. He got it in this. So I think you've got to sometimes break the rules with agility. If you're in a big corporate and you're going to play by the rules sometimes, you're, you're, you're not going to be that agile, to be honest. So I think um, I did go against, against the grain a few times, and I didn't want to research everything to death. I'd, I'd do a little bit of research and then pull the trigger and go. So those are some of the lessons for me about being real agile. And failure to be agile, you're just not going to be in the game. Uh, as you know today, there's so many companies that are agile, small and agile, usually big and slow like a somnambulist. So you try in a big corporate, though, to go against the grain at times. Yeah, mm. Doug, you, you started your career in the Coca-Cola system in South Africa, and it, uh, and I think you're ending your, your, your career here. Yes. So, so thinking more generically about South Africa, how does the strategy of big corporations like the Coca-Cola uh, system and like Coca-Cola Beverages Africa have an effect on the social and economic growth of a country and perhaps the region that it finds itself in? Yeah, so, um, Alan, I think for us, key being part of the fabric of South Africa, if I take South Africa, whilst we've got 7,500 formal employees, a huge issue, issue in South Africa is the, the unemployment in our society. And we would say that at least another 10 times that. So 75,000 employees depend on our, on our supply chain and our, our value chain. And I'll give some examples. If you're at a traffic light often in the country, someone will come past you and offer you a cold Coke. Um, that person is in the supply chain. That person needs to make a living and feed a family. Um, it may be a distributor that goes and do, does distribution uh, in, inside our rural areas. It may even be an owner-driver, part of our entrepreneurial owner-driver program so that we can create a, a more entrepreneur. So for me, um, with unemployment being the big thing, our system is, a, is, is wonderfully ingrained into the fabric of, of South African society. We will, and it's big, big responsibility to wake up every day knowing there's 75,000 people that are dependent on good decisions that we can make, bringing new innovation, bringing new brands, so that they're all able to make a living and and uh, and have their families uh, prosper. And that's that's a big, uh, I guess, a really big social undertaking. Um, and I think it's it's a big contribution that the Coke system makes in South Africa. So you would have had a number of leadership lessons throughout your career. Is there one or two that just absolutely stand out for you? Yeah, Alan, uh, there's been so many. I, I want to again come back to, you know, my time with Mandela. Um, and I was fortunate. I spent a lot of time close to him, watching him. And obviously, try, you know, once you you see, you try and behave a little bit more like he behaves. And I'll I'll tell you some lessons for me. Firstly, he had this incredible ability, and I saw it so many times, to put himself into the shoes of other people. He would know instantly on meeting you. He would size you up and know from whence you came. And then he would know how you felt and he would know how to, how to get along with you and how to persuade you to do certain things because he was, after all, someone who also wanted to achieve things. So 
putting it putting yourself in the other person's shoes he, he taught me an immense amount about that he was the most forgiving person i've just about ever met um if you go to robin island and see the cell that he lay in for so much of his life um cold on the floor for for much of it you know um with a bucket for for any uh when you wanted to relieve yourself um it was just how can you walk out of that and have no animosity and i picked up with him that there was no malice you know when when he met you to come out of all of that i know you locked me up for those that time like that i would have had some animosity and malice he was definitely the most forgiving person that's been a big lesson for me you've got to learn to forgive and you're going to have to forgive often he also had principles principles that he was prepared to die for um, for all of those who know some of South African history, his famous speech at the Ravonia trial, you know, he indicated that there was an ideal that he was prepared to die for. It was that one race mustn't, mustn't have dominion over another race, neither the white race over the black race or the black race over a white race. And he wanted to see that happen in South Africa. But if he couldn't see it happen, it was an ideal he was prepared to die for. And I thought, you know, all of us need to have some principles in which we prepared to die for. And he, he taught me, you know, you better have those and you better be prepared to do anything, anything for them. He was also a humble man. Uh, I remember at that lunch that we had with, with my wife and I, he wanted to start serving us the veggies and the chicken. And I refused, I said, no, I'm, I have to serve you. You know, there's no ways you're going to do that. But that was the humility of the man. He sit us down and start serving us. And, you know, no, come on, you, You've done 27 years in, in jail. You know, the least I can do is, is, is serve for you. He also um, was always a smile on his face. Um, you know, when he met you, he could just light up a room. He was the most charismatic person I knew. And he was always mindful of, of the small people in the room. So someone who was serving tea at the back, he'd go up and greet that person. A great lesson for all of us on, on humility. And also then taking the time to write a little letter, take in his own handwriting to write a little letter to you. Or in my case, he made, he made uh, an incredible uh, tape recording, a videotape. When I left South Africa the first time in 2005, he made a little video, which is just amazing. Uh, you, you know, he doesn't have to spend a minute to do that, but he took the time to greet me and say farewell to me with a little video. That'll be a personal memoir for me. So, that you learn those kind of lessons you learn to do it with others over the over the years and i've become a better person because of those wonderful leadership traits and that's the best ones i can cite to be honest with you thank you for sharing those doug it's been really great to talk to you thank you so much for for doing that if we uh, if we can uh, get your permission to perhaps play uh, the soundtrack of that uh, that very short video we'll we'll do so of course now yep. the soundtrack is, yep. is is great too and yes please do and My friend, Doug Jensen, I have known Doug for many years, and he is someone with a big heart. As the division president for Coca-Cola, Southern and East Africa, Doug has been instrumental in driving social investments, and many thousands of South Africans have benefited from this unwavering support. We miss Madiba. South Africa misses him. I think the world misses him. He always said he belonged to everybody. 
Uh, and certainly we miss him today and we miss those values of his. So thank you for making the time to talk to us today, Doug. And, and thank you for listening to the Hydric and Struggles Leadership Podcast. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Hydric and Struggles Leadership Podcast. To make sure you don't miss more future shaping ideas and conversations, please subscribe to our channel on the podcast app. And if you're listening via LinkedIn, Twitter, or YouTube, why not share this with your connections? Until next time. <laughs>